and uh, he was a good mechanic. Um, now, Jimmy Austin's father, Leo, worked for him when I was a young adult. I can remember going down, and uh, it was just before Jenny was born, and I was saying, well, I got another few weeks to go, and Leo looked at me, he says, I don't think so. <laughs> but uh, his father was a born mechanic. You know, he, he was, it, it was a gift. You know, he, he was like that. Who was? Uh, Leo, Leo Sr. Um, Eldo and Jenny Fessenden, there are a lot of people that don't like the Fessendens, and you, you know my father's opinion of O.D., uh, I, I never knew the man, I don't know. The Fessendens were always good to us. When I was born, all my father had for a vehicle was an old truck. Eldo Fessenden loaned him the car to take my mother to the hospital when I was born. Uh, that friendship has gone down through the generations and has never stopped. Um, when I was a kid in grammar school, and maybe even before, uh, because we used to march down from the other building to um, Daniels Academy into the banquet hall, which is where they serve the hot lunches for kids in school. Myself... The banquet hall being the basement. Yep. Mm -hmm. Myself and Nelson Barnaby, the Fessendens paid our hot lunches. Harry Williams, who uh, I get down as far as uh, Alton Johnson's house when I was thinking this thing out. Um, Harry Williams, okay, where the post office is now, you turn down that street. Well, over across from Hall Manufacturing, there's a house uh, that's got um, it shingles uh, for a siding and a porch on the front. Okay, that's where Harry Williams lived. Harry Williams was a barber. Um, Did he cut hair out of there? What? Did he cut hair out of his home? Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, in fact, he cut my hair because when I was, I don't know, I was three, four years old. I can't remember whether I was living downtown or we'd moved uptown. I had long ringlets that were the color of honey. I took the scissors and I cut as far as I could in the right side and as far as I could in the left side and left a few hanging down the middle of the back. My father, that was his pride and joy, was my long hair. And he was scandalized. And my mother said, well, you know, nothing to do. You know, you dig it down and let Harry, you know, even it off and fix it. And uh, although my father wanted to leave the two long ones, and she, you know, well, she finally convinced him anyway that, um, yeah, and now I've lost my, uh, oh, uh, oh Harry Williams, okay. They had a daughter, Pauline who was retarded and probably in today's society uh, she would have been considered very educable. Uh, she had a vocabulary that uh, would make a sailor's parrot blush. Uh, my voice had cut cold steel at 50 paces, hers would outdo mine twice. Um, there was always a consensus of opinion in town. Uh, Harry, and I can't think of his wife's name, uh, used to like to go to dances, and they swore that they dosed her with paragoric to keep her quiet, and that's, you know, but th that, that's just hearsay, you know, that's gossip. Uh, so I, I have no idea. But the Fessendens offered to have that child evaluated and taught and she would have had to stay away overnight to be evaluated, and her parents would not let her. When you say the Fessendens, who are we talking about? Eldo and Jenny. Okay. 
wonderful. Now, I can remember, can't think of his last name right now, his name was Red. Lived up in what was the Boyd Maxwell house on the old Melted Road. Um, I took the car down to have something done to it at, at Fesland's garage. And this was the old garage before they, they built the new one that's on, you know, Route 13. And Red said to me, he said, I don't know who the hell you are or what, you know, what the story is, but I've been told that anything you want to do, just do it and don't say anything. I don't understand. Well, whether I had the money or not or whatever. At what place could you do what you wanted? Fesnan's garage. Anything that I took in there, take care of it, fix it. You know, and if I could pay for it, I did, and if I couldn't, um, that was okay. Why was this? I don't know. I really don't know. Um, Eldo had a great affection and respect for my grandmother and for my mother. Now, Eldo was pretty deaf by the time my mother died <clears throat> in 75. He came to the funeral and he waited outside the church to talk to me and, you know, told me. He said, you know, I can't hear anymore or anything, but he said, I had to come for your ma. You know, and um, I don't know what it is, but, um, and then when um, my daughter was born, I was going to name her, uh, I was too hidebound in those days. What does uh, that mean? Uh, to name her Jenny. What does hidebound mean? Prim and proper. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I know you don't believe that, but that's okay. Um, because you know a different side of me, uh, and, and you know me in my dotage and not in my youth. Uh, but um, I couldn't name a child a nickname. Jenny Fesnan's name, they called her Jenny because her real name was Jane, and there were umpteen Janes in her family, and, and instead of saying a Janie Sue or Janie May or whatever, they called her Jenny, and that was the differentiation. Uh, she had a sister named May that I met and uh, was very fond of. Um, and she worked down in Waltham, Mass. someplace, and in those days there was a factory that made children's infants' clothing called Vanter, V-A-N-T-A. And when my child, first child, was born, Paul Fesnan, who was one of their kids, um, Orville and Mary, who were, you know, Mary was Orville's wife, uh, was their other son, uh, Aunt May and Jenny and Eldo, all, there were gifts from all of them for that child, and, you know, May brought up the things from Vanter, you know, so that, uh, and let me tell you, they, they went through both of my girls and got passed on down to somebody else, you know, I mean, it, it was good stuff, um, you know, it, it, it was lasting things. Um, so I named my daughter Genevieve. Now, my Aunt Miriam always felt that I named her middle name is Eldora, which Richard says, which is Jenny's husband, um, that's not a name, it's a disease. Uh, but Eldora was my father's mother's name. 
and I figured Eldora, that's the feminine of Eldorus, and you know, so I was honoring my friend Jenny Fessenden and uh, my paternal grandmother whom I never knew, never saw. Um, I remember Miriam brought my mother down, Jenny was born in the Groton Hospital, uh, the new Groton Hospital, which is now uh, a rest home to, you know, to see the baby. I mean, in those days, you, you didn't go home until the fourth day. They didn't send you home after 24 hours. Uh, and I can remember her standing there saying, you know, where did you get that name? And I said, well, you know, she said, well, you had to have named it for Jenny and Elder Fesnett. And I said, no, not entirely. I said, uh, Eldora is um, my father's mother's name. Are you sure? I thought Violet was your mother, grandmother's name, and that's why you were named Mabel Violet, because Mabel was for my maternal grandmother, and she figured Violet was for the other. I said, nope. I said, his mother's name was Eldora. Well, then, where did the Violet come from? I said, I don't know. It must have been one of his old lovers. And uh, Who was asking these questions? Miriam. Miriam. Sounds like Miriam. Yeah. And then she also said to me, when she said, you know, where did you get such, you know, she was implying it was an outlandish name. Um, she said, well, I named all my children something I liked. I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say another thing. <laughs> she was a tough girl. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, you, you know I have a streak of that, too. You know? yeah, yeah, you do. <laughs> what about uh, Farwells? Okay. Um, because Grover Jr. was, you know, way up the latter uh, age-wise for me, so uh, I, I never knew him. Um, Bentley was in grammar school when I was in the grade school, you know, the elementary school, so uh, that uh, I, I never knew Bentley. I just knew the, the trouble he got into with the pyromania and, and so forth. Uh, you know, and I, I told you that uh, I think that uh, his paternal grandfather told my folks that when he was born there was a lightning strike and they figured that's, you know, I mean, because that's, you know, the old superstition. Um, Frank Fowle, who died when he was 16, as I, I looked at the stone, it's close to ours up there in the cemetery, uh, he was in the fifth grade when I was in the third grade. What happened? I don't know what happened. Um, he um, was built like Bentley. Yeah, you know, uh, um, big, not fat, but just big, like Ellsworth Austin was. And of all the big people in the world, Ellsworth Austin was a pussycat, you know. He, he was a lover. He was not a fighter, you know what I mean? He, he was such a, a joy. Uh, but um, the one incident that I remember happening at school was uh, they had been up in the ballpark playing ball and must have been lunch hour and they came back in and uh, Frank had gotten hit in the head or something and um, now whether he passed out or not I don't know I, I never knew that part of the story but I remember him very quietly getting up and throwing up bushels of blood that the teacher had to clean up and you know take care of so I, I don't know uh, but that would have been when he was uh, at 10 or 11 at the most, you know, so I, that, that could not have had 
any impact on why he died unless it was like the blow that a prize fighter gets. Uh, you know, the last one um, is not necessarily the one, it's just everything piling up. Uh, Grover Bowell, um, his daughter, as far as I know, is just one daughter, and Ellen, and uh, she's an accountant. I remember her when I was still in grade school, so it was somewhere between third and fifth, she came to visit the school and she had on her waves uniform. I thought that she was the prettiest thing I had ever seen. And uh, years later, when I still belonged to Business Professional Women Club, she was chosen as our Woman of the Year. And she came to speak. And I knew when she walked in the door that I should know that face. I mean, the, the fowls, you, you can tell them. You know, I mean, they, they just belong to each other. Um, I knew I should know her. And uh, she told me her name, and I, I still can't remember her married name, and it, it didn't mean a thing to me. But when she got up to speak and said she had been Ellen Fowle, all of a sudden, the whole thing came in. When she got out of the service, she took you know, her courses to become an accountant, she passed her CPA the very first try. You know, people look at us when we say we were born in Brookline and we were raised in Brookline and we went to Brookline schools, you know, uh, you know, that uh, was our basic education and so forth, and they look at us, you know, we're country hicks, but boy, we are one hell of a good, smart bunch of people. You know, there's a lot of very intelligent uh, people who have gone and made a mark for themselves in the world that had their beginning in Brookline. You know, and uh, I, I make a joke uh, because I can remember seeing some map, uh, atlas type of thing, uh, when I was a kid. And the census in 1930 was a little over 500. I said, yep, I was the 500th person born in the town of Brooklyn. <laughs> you know, it, it just, and uh, then of course there's, um, er, um, there's a younger one. I can't think of his name. Um, Clarence? Yes, he's the one with the, Christmas uh, thing at the community Christmas tree. Uh, you uh, may have heard um, Teeny Austin, who everybody knows as Leo. Um, uh, where, where, how did you guys compare, you and Leo? Uh, he was about my brother's age. He, oh. he was a year or two below me. Uh, maybe three, I, I can't remember. And then Dickie was below him, and then Dottie was below him, and uh, then the others, John and so forth, I, I never knew because they were that much younger, um, you know. But uh, my folks were friends with um, Leo and Eva, you know, and we used to be neighbor, you know, back and forth. Um, let's see, what, uh, I'm losing my uh, train here. Uh, oh, Clarence Fowle, okay. Uh, Teeny Austin and I were talking at uh, Historical Society a few meetings back about the community Christmas tree. And um, Loring uh, Quimby uh, was remembering the same thing. This was a Christmas program that was put on by the school children um, for the town. And everybody in town came, you know, practically. 
Um, every child in the town got a gift. And if I can find it, I will bring it in uh, sometime uh, with a card saying what it is, and I will give it to the Historical Society. One of the last things that I got that I remember, but the only one I remember exactly what it was, um, is a wooden pin, probably two and a half, three inches tall. Uh, puppy dog sitting down. Uh, I think he's got a little blue bow tie or you know, ribbon uh, tied around his neck. But that, that was my gift, a community Christmas tree that year. And I think we, each one of us, got one of those um, boxes of candy, you know, that they always had the loop on it that hung on the tree. And um, the uh, school, uh, particularly the first five grades, would put on a program. One year, we had this big production. All five grades had this big um, thing that uh, they did. I used to have a good memory. I don't retain as easily as I used to. Uh, <laughs> That's yeah. a scary thought. Yeah. Well, what I'm telling you now is stuff that is, uh, it frightens me because this is Alzheimer's, you know, I mean, I'm going back <laughs> 50 years uh, or more. But um, my, I remember my aunt Bide uh, because um, twice a week she would take the, they raised hatching aid for Hubbard Farms and twice a week they would take the crates of eggs up to the railway express station in Milford and they would get shipped and she always stopped at the house on the way back to talk to my mother and, and get warmed up. They had this big old open touring car and um, you know find out how we were going uh, doing and so forth and, and maybe have, uh, I can't remember, she used to have a cup of coffee and all but I can remember her standing there. She always wore knickers and knee socks and uh, she'd stand there with her uh, one foot up on the hearth of the kitchen stove, you know, warming up and uh, talking. And uh, I rattled off the whole play. Everybody. And she <laughs> just, you know. Um, World War Two. You know, the male population of the town was decimated because they were, they were all in the service, you know, I mean, from 18 to 40, uh, you went. And so there, there was no man that was going to play the Santa Claus for the community Christmas tree. So my Aunt Miriam, being somewhat the proper size, uh, volunteered, you know, to do it. Norma Lee, who was 11 years younger than I am, you know, couldn't have been more than two or three at the time, she would not go to Santa Claus. She was terrified to death of Santa Claus, and Santa Claus was her mother. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I talked to Norma a few weeks ago, and uh, she was busy. I'm uh, glad to hear from me, but um, I called her to give her my new phone number uh, because when Miriam died, nobody notified me. The way I found out that Miriam died the same way I found out every time that she went to the hospital was that they contacted the priest at the Episcopal Church and he announced they prayed for we pray for the dead every Sunday and they prayed for her so I went to the priest and I said to him you know what are the arrangements for this you know funeral well we haven't there aren't any arrangements made yet I am meeting with the family this week and of course this is a new priest I said to him, I am family. Dropped his teeth. 
uh, I said to him, please, don't say anything to them. And he didn't. Um, I went to the wake. Oh, Mabel, you know, we couldn't get a hold of you, couldn't get a hold of you. Hey, you know that I belong to that church. You were sitting with that priest discussing the thing. You know, I'm sorry. You know, that's okay. You know, I made my peace and that's it, you know. But I mean, um, over the years, I know, particularly with Freddie's wife, I do not travel in the same social status. And that's fine. I have lived in Amherst for, I have owned property in Amherst almost 52 years to the date. And I hasten to tell people when they ask me where I come from, I say Amherst, but the wrong side of the tracks. Because each place I have lived has been the wrong side of the tracks compared to what they think of, you know, downtown in Amherst. Uh, which is okay, that's fine. I'm a country hick and I would much rather be that than a city slicker or some of the other things that uh, people are today. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'd, I'd much rather be that than a Catholic priest right now, let me tell you. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I won't get on that one, but you know, I mean, um, well, let's see, this community Christmas event, did it take place at Town Hall, yeah. Daniel's Academy? Right, yeah. uh, in, in the um, upstairs where the stage was yeah. and so forth. Uh, one year, uh, I was a fairy and the teachers worked like crazy. Uh, we had uh, crepe paper costumes mm -hmm. and uh, everything else. Then uh, another year, there was some kind of a thing, a song that we sang, and um, two kids would join both their hands together, and the other one swung it, swung their hands back and forth, supposedly in rhythm to the music, I guess. <clears throat> and some kid was sick and didn't show up, and so the teacher said to me, go out there. Well, I, I didn't quite understand what she wanted me to do, so I went from group to group till I finally come. It was Doris Corey and somebody else standing there uh, very quietly holding hands waiting for somebody to show up. And my mother said the woman sitting next to her, which I think was Jean Ripon, uh, you know, was trying to keep from laughing and my mother laughed and she said, it's okay. Boy, I swung that thing with some vigor, you know. <laughs> but, but it was something, I, and then another thing that was done every year was we always put on some kind of Memorial Day exercises. The last two years that I was in grammar school, I did the Gettysburg Address. Wow, you have a good memory for that. I can still say a good share of it. Not all of it, but I can still say a good share of it. And, um, you know, did that you ever see movies in town hall? No. Plays? They, made, uh, they were plays. Um, they had musical once, because uh, I remember Jackie McKelvey was in that, and Etta Hazlitt was the one that did some of the choreography and the, and the makeup and stuff, and uh, I remember Jackie was telling me, um, you know, they put rouge on the girls' knees, you know, for the chorus line and stuff. Uh, but this is something else I've written down somewhere in the notes I made. Brookline had what was probably the first drive-in movie. <coughs> um, Wickham Store. Sure. You know where that used to be? Riverside? No. Wickham Store. Down across from what used to be the Elmwood um, Hotel. That's where the Wickhams lived and there was a store there. It's where the post office was before it moved yeah. out to where it is now. I'm with okay. You. Yeah. 
Now there's an knoll down across. Across and, the street? Yeah. yeah. And there is, um, I looked at it the other day when I came through and it looks so small and I presume some of the brush from the marshes encroached on it and so forth. But Harlan Wilcom was an entrepreneur because he would get these people to come, they had a van, they'd set up the projector, they set up the screen and stuff. I can't remember whether the screen was permanent or whether they set it up every time or not. My father used to take us down every once in a while. You sat on the knoll and you watched the screen. And if you had the money, which most of them did, you went and you got an ice cream or whatever else from Whitcomb's store before uh, it got dusk enough to uh, show the movies. Um, they would have like a, a talent thing and um, if you went down and you did something, uh, then you got a free ice cream cone. Uh, I never got the courage. I have no voice to sing. Uh, I could recite 10,000 poems and I was always going to, but I, I, I just didn't have what it took to do it. But Peggy Porter, who was Paul Porter's older sister, his younger brother was Donnie. We called him Day Day. Don't know why, but anyway, that's what it, we called him. Um, she and Laura Homolisky would sing God Bless America, and they would get their free ice cream cone. But they, you could always plan, whenever you went, uh, that that was there. But that, that was my first recollection. Now, I remember only one movie that I saw, and, uh, and I forget what the sequence was or, or anything, but uh, it was late. My father probably had to get up at 5 o'clock and go to work the next day, whatever. Um, and it was a mystery. And I don't presume he figured it was terribly appropriate for us young kids anyway. And uh, so we never saw the end of it. And I think the name of it was The Thirteenth Guest. Back in the early 50s, when Frank was overseas, and I was babysitting all the time for people in Amherst, the late show, I saw the end of the movie. <laughs> I saw it on TV. I, I, you know, so umpteen, you know, probably 50 years later, <laughs> I saw it. How about skiing? Was skiing going on at yeah, that Yeah, skiing, uh, the tow was in um, operation. I, I never skied down there. Um, you know, we lived, four miles is nothing today, but it was a big deal then. And um, I had skis, the kind that had a strap and you stuck your feet in. And, um, you know, the local hills and stuff, uh, we skied on those. And I've, I've taken some pretty nasty falls. But um, they had a rope tow down there. And our friend, Dean Dickey, who had a camp uh, on the old Milford Road, uh, the building is still there. Uh, it's been enlarged. But um, he used to come up uh, weekends. He was related to Howard Dickey, um, who had the house. It, now it's white. They tore the barn down a number of years ago and they, they have antiques there. It's on the um, right-hand side as you're, you're going toward town before you get to uh, what, well, Keaches, you wouldn't know Keaches either, but, uh, well, you go down that steep hill. Once you go by Melindy Pond and then you get down that steep hill, it's on the, the right. house is on the right at sure. the foot there. Okay, sure. Howard Dickey lived there and uh, he was Dean's uncle. And um, so Dean uh, would come up and he'd go skiing. And um, 
and he used to tell us, you know, about the rope toe. You had to be careful how you grabbed it because if you didn't, it would flip you uh, and so forth. And so uh, they lived Somerville or some place, you know, down that area. And uh, he would come up and stay at the uh, camp uh, for the weekend, and uh, he would go skiing. And he and my father got to be fishing buddies, and they would go fishing. And uh, Dean didn't care about eating it. They'd go fishing at night, and um, well, in those days, your limit was 40 horn pouch, and they'd both get their limit. And my father would bring it home and uh, you know put them, dump them into a big uh, galvanized tub of water. I got 25 cents for cleaning uh, each batch of 40. Uh, he, he didn't skin them. Uh, some people skin them, but uh, he didn't. Uh, and I can, to this day, still see in my mind's eye, you know, he, he would get them. The next day we would clean them. We would have them for dinner. And those fish were fresh enough that when they hit the frying pan, they'd jump. You know, I mean, uh, it's the muscle reaction to the heat and so forth, you know. I mean, um, it, it, it was amazing. Hornpout have a lot of small bones. I was never terribly fond of them, but um, I, I used to earn my quarter, which was a whole lot in those days, and uh, I, I would do that. Dean went into World War II. He went into the Navy. He was a pharmacist mate. Um, he worked uh, in some kind of chemical thing, and uh, but he also worked, because um, we used to get the huge, great big uh, calendars he would bring us every year. Uh, J.P. Squires, uh, which was a meat processing plant and so forth, but uh, he worked in some of that stuff. He had two brothers, um, Junior, who was uh, Harold Dickey Jr., and um, Mel, it must have been Melvin, uh, who was the younger brother. There were three boys. Um, so Dean was our favorite. He was the one we knew the most. He was up all the time, and he and Daddy used to go. He bought the materials. My father built a rowboat. And this is what they used to take fishing. Now, my father was way ahead of his time. He was a pure Yankee as far as making do and stuff, because we didn't have any money. Uh, but he would buy a second-hand coupe. And in those days, you had a rumble seat. He would take the rumble seat out, and he would build a wooden truck body to go in there, which is like... Um, the Ford Ranchero, and I can't remember what they call the Chevy, but I mean, all all those were were just a uh, car body that didn't have any back windows, and they uh, made a like a classy pickup truck out.